0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 22 of Coffee Talks with Mike. It's great to be with you again, even from afar. As you can hear my voice, I'm a little under the weather here, so I'm battling a little bit of a sore throat, but I think I'll be good for an episode with you guys. Um, And as I was trying to think about what I wanted to do, frankly, uh, I've just had a lot of different readings going on for school and uh, you know I've been reading as much for myself as I'd like to lately and so as I was kind of going through my stack of books like I'm going through at the same time as comparing that to what it seemed like you guys were most interested in and one of the best turnouts um, that I've gotten in the last few weeks um, for readings were uh, was Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown so um, I thought Maybe I'll just kind of go through another chapter with you guys on that. Brene Brown's great. Um, And this is a book that uh, was really helpful to me the first time I read it. And it's been helpful as I've been rereading it. But to just build on the last episode uh, that I did with Brene Brown, um, or the last chapter in in that vein, uh, I'm just going to jump right to chapter two, which is the quest for true belonging, which again, is part of the... um, the subtitle of the book, The Quest for True Belonging and the Courage to Stand Alone. She covers both of those things in this chapter. And so uh, let's jump into it. Uh, she starts off by saying like true belonging is what all human beings crave on some level. We might not call it that. We might not articulate it in that, those exact terms. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we all want to feel like we belong somewhere. And that can be revealed in in the friend groups that we have or the hobbies that we take on or uh, any number of things. But we want to just feel that we belong where we are. There's nothing worse than feeling like you are out of your element. And so she says, we want to be part of something, but we need it to be real. It can't be conditional or fake or constantly up for negotiation. So that seems like, well, duh. But when you think about those qualifications, conditional, if you truly belong somewhere in a friendship, on a team, on a staff, at a job, it can't be conditional, right? We understand that if you don't do your job, then eventually you're going to get fired. There are conditions there. But when you truly belong somewhere, short of you just doing the worst possible thing to to ruin a relationship If it's not conditional, then those people will love and embrace you even when you aren't your best version of yourself. Um, It can't be fake. And this is what we see, particularly in adolescence. We, We understand that and people joke about that with teenagers, but we absolutely see it far beyond adolescence is people seeking belonging so much that they're willing to either be fake themselves or go into a fake scenario for that belonging. What I have found in the last five plus years of working with teenagers directly week to week is this is not just teenagers that deal with this. Some people, I'd say at least half of people don't grow out of this mindset that that you crave belonging so much you don't actually even care if it is who you are. You don't care if you get to be yourself to belong. You just want to belong. So you'll become whatever you need to become to fit into, let's say, a church community or let's say a friend group or let's say a job. You're so concerned about the need fundamentally to belong that you'll do whatever it takes because it's it's crucial to our human survival. And then constantly up for negotiation is the last qualifier she uses. And I think that's a pretty simple idea. But basically, if you have to negotiate with people why you belong, why you should be there, why you matter, then it's not truly belonging. It's something that you're chasing. But every time you have to negotiate or convince someone you should be there, you're really reminding yourself that you don't actually belong. So again, this is one of those throwaway sentences. And and truly at first, it seems like a little cliche and, uh, oh yeah, well, duh, you don't want it to be conditional or fake. But ultimately, like when you you, you start to peel back some of those layers, like we're getting to the heart of the idea. Um, So she uh, talks about a a previous uh, writing that she defines belonging in, and she says, belonging is the innate human desire to be part of something larger than ourselves. Because this yearning is so primal, we often try to acquire it by fitting in and by seeking approval, which are not only hollow substitutes for belonging, but they're often barriers to belonging. Because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world. Our sense of belonging can never be greater Than our level of self-acceptance. Being ourselves means sometimes we have to find the courage to stand alone, even totally alone. And she explains how when she was writing this, she was actually going through one of those seasons of feeling absolutely alone. And if you don't remember from the first episode or the first chapter of this book, she talks about that at length and her struggles with that and her conversations with her husband revolving around that issue. But this idea that sometimes we need the courage to stand alone, this is an idea that, I mean, it it can get hijacked in multiple directions, right? Like, oh, like we can justify any bad idea we have and say, well, I just have the courage to stand alone. You just don't believe the greatness of my idea yet. Okay. Yeah. Let's just take that and we'll just set that to the side for now and assume everyone listening is really looking to, to be the best versions of themselves, right? That doesn't mean that you never listen to someone else's um, input. It doesn't mean that you aren't open to the idea that you get it wrong often because we are imperfect. That's one of the important parts of that definition, authentic and imperfect. When you recognize you're imperfect, it doesn't mean you pretend to be perfect. So when you say, oh, I need the courage to stand alone, it doesn't mean it's because I'm so perfect and no one else accepts it yet. Therefore, I need to be stubborn and never let in or give in to the idea that there is room for improvement here. No, that's, that's not what we mean by courage to stand alone. It's rather that when we dig deeper into the idea of true belonging, and I quote here, it's clear that it's not something we achieve or accomplish. It's something we carry. Once we belong thoroughly to ourselves, and I would add to God, uh, and believe thoroughly in ourselves, true belonging is ours. Now, Brene Brown talks about faith um, everywhere and in this book as well, but uh, it's not as explicit sometimes. And this is one of those areas where, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the idea of self help books or self help you know, mantras or whatever, except for when they actually help. Um, She's kind of rooted in a lot of research. So I like, I I like the way she approaches some of this, but I don't think it's just like, just believe in yourself. But what she's pointing to is a deeply um, historical Christian idea that we must truly be honest with ourselves about who we are and where we are so that we can actually present ourselves to God. If we're only ever presenting like, a shadow of who we are, or like the skeleton of who we are without all of the other stuff, if we only show up with what we think we're supposed to do and say and be, rather than actually presenting ourselves where we are, then it's really hard for us to ever be honest with God about where we are and what we need. And so this idea that like, we need to uh, belong thoroughly to ourselves, I think is trying to get us to the idea that we need to take ownership of where we are, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between. Like we need to belong. We need to understand that like where we are, even if it's not great is where we are. We often like play in our minds like, Oh, it's just a bad day. Or it's just a bad week. Or it's just a good day. Or just a good week. And it's like, no, like everything up to this moment that you hit play on this podcast today, got you to this moment. It's a, it's a perfectly chaotic swirl of events and emotions and feelings and sleep or lack of sleep and food or lack of food that got you to this moment. And if you can own that, then you can begin to truly belong to yourself where you are. But if you continue to play into the mindset that, oh, it's just... You know, I am at the will of all these other things in my life. Like it is what it is. Going back to the Justin McRoberts episode, all these things keep happening to me. It's like, no, like take ownership where you are. It is what you make of it. Even if there are things out of your control, you can control your interactions with those things, even that mindset. And when you begin to do that, you take ownership and you truly can belong. So she says, belonging to ourselves means being able to stand alone, to brave the wilderness of uncertainty, <clears throat> vulnerability and criticism. So, again, the, the, using the title of the book here to, to narrow it home, uh, or narrow it down around and narrow it down and bring it home. Wow, um, you know, wilderness is untamed. Wilderness is scary. Wilderness can be, full of desert and drought. Wilderness is really deeply significant in scriptures in particular, but it's an image that has permeated cultures all throughout time. When we choose to brave wilderness in the language she's using, when you choose to, to go through that, it means you're looking at head on and going anyways. Often, you know, we we are hardwired to seek out comfort. So we seek the simplest, easiest paths in life. There are very few people that go out of their way to choose the hardest paths. And I'd say it's probably because there's also something wrong there. Um, But we usually choose the simplest path. Braving the wilderness, which is the kind of uh, metaphor she's using for belonging to ourselves, means being willing to stand alone to be uncertain, to be vulnerable, um, and and to accept criticism. Vulnerability in, inherently means opening yourself up to hurt or attack. That means when you present your most authentic self, it, it, you may actually get hurt. When you only are ever putting on a show or only ever revealing part of yourself to the people closest to you or to strangers. Then when that gets attacked, you can go, well, they don't know the real me. They don't know my real passions. They don't know the other things that are going on. So it doesn't actually hurt, but to choose to be vulnerable with someone. Think of a romantic relationship. When you choose to let someone all the way in, you've given them the power to love you deeply and to hurt you deeply. And that's hard. Breathing the wilderness is about enabling yourself to be free in that, so that you can actually move forward. So she goes on and uh, to, to kind of continue defining this idea of true belonging. Uh, and so she talked about one of these studies she did, and she said the question she asked people about belonging is, what are people trying to achieve? What are they worried about? And the answer was surprisingly complex. It says they want to be a part of something to experience real connection, but not at the cost of their authenticity, freedom, or power. Uh, when she dug deeper into what they meant, um, they said there was a fear of spiritual disconnection and us versus them. Um, and it, the way they kind of qualified that was saying there was a diminishing sense of shared humanity. And that this kind of led to this reluctancy to choose between being loyal to a group and being loyal to oneself. And lacking that deeper spiritual connection to a shared humanity, um, people were far more aware of the pressure to fit in and conform. So I think this is a a huge point to make, um, which hopefully isn't brand new to you or to me, but when we talk about our shared humanity, um, sometimes again, this can be hijacked for really ridiculous reasons, right? The way that people kind of address it, like there is no race, but the human race, it's like, yes, we can affirm that in one sense. And in another sense, we know that there are deep complexities about the experience of people based on the, uh, creation of this mindset of race in human society all throughout time. Right. So there are plenty of things that divide us, that separate us, even in, I'd say, a neutral way. Like At a certain point, there's a language barrier, right? Um, And that's not a bad thing necessarily. It just exists. It's part of reality. But part of our reality being better is being able to acknowledge that it exists and to work together to overcome some of those difficulties. In the pursuit, of the value of shared humanity think about like the people that you view as the worst in your life whether they're specific individuals that you know or that you know of or they are like ambiguous people groups um the the way that we justify making people into our enemies is by dehumanizing them right we take away their humanity we say we are human like Whoever Mike Kramer is, that is the, you know, the the standard for what it means to be human. That's how loving you should be. That's how strong you should be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all the people that I think are bad for whatever reason, they don't meet the standard. They don't share the same humanity as me. When we diminish the reality of our shared humanity with everyone around us, it, it actually dehumanizes us too in the process because, One, we start to close up, we're no longer vulnerable. And two, we lose the ability to see the image of God in other people. And when we can't see the image of God in other people, we have no capacity to love. And we can go to countless places in scripture that talk about love. We, you know, First Corinthians 13 is always used at weddings and it's talking about God is love. Love does not fear, love does not, you know, envy, etc. And uh, you know Paul is writing very specifically about spiritual gifts there not that it can't be applied to a wedding but you know clearly it's never the focal point I'm talking about spiritual gifts and if you have the greatest gifts in life without love then they're pointless and so if we have the ability to love and we choose the opposite then then everything that we have at our disposal is apparently pointless so when we dehumanize people We're also losing our ability to embrace the love we were called to. Now, this does not mean that we are unable to call out problems or injustice as we see them, but rather that we can't mix up the evil intention or evil act with the humanity of another person. Now, there's no like hard and fast line of what kind of would ever make someone irredeemable. Uh, there, there are different ways that people kind of come up with this decision in their minds. I'm not here to explore that this, this today, um, but rather to say there's something that we lose when we willfully and knowingly disregard someone's humanity to separate ourselves from them rather than looking at what has caused them to get to where they are. Cause at the same time, that's the exact same thing that people are doing to us that kind of paralyze us in our pursuit of being our truest authentic selves. Um, so that's just a lot of commentary there. Um, she's pointing to this idea that we are inextricably connected and that many people have picked up on this, but that humans in general have broken the link to one another and, um, and so she talks about a few more of these questions that she asked people. Um, and she talks about four elements that are really significant. She says, as you look at these four elements, you can see that each is a daily practice and feels like a paradox and they cha- they're going to challenge us all. Um, people are hard to hate close up. So move in, speak the truth to nonsense, be civil, hold hands with strangers and strong back, soft front, wild heart. So again, I understand if you, are, uh, you have an inkling of cynicism in you like I do, some of these kind of uh, fun little titles might be frustrating, but I, I think there is some value here. So um, what all wilderness metaphors have in common, she says, are the notions of solitude, vulnerability, and an emotional, spiritual, or physical quest. Um, belonging so fully to yourself that you're willing to stand alone is a wilderness. It's untamed. It's unpredictable. It's often a place of involuntary solitude and it's a place of searching, searching for meaning, searching for purpose, searching for value in yourself and in the world around you. Um, It's dangerous as it is breathtaking and it is a place that is feared. And we all feel that way. I mean, this is something that is articulated about kids graduating high school, kids graduating college. And as we're seeing studies come out about millennials in particular, it's about people kind of in the midst of their, you know, what I'm about to approach, like their 30s, like where none of the old cultural landmarks of what it means to be 30 to 35 years old really exist the way that they did 40 years ago. And so people are fearful of stepping into this strange, uncharted land of what it means to be your truest self she says the special courage it takes to experience true belonging is not just about braving the wilderness but it's about becoming the wilderness it's about breaking down the walls abandoning our ideological bunkers and living from our wild heart rather than our weary heart so she says we need to intentionally be with people who are different with from us we're going to have to sign up join and take a seat at the table we're going to have to learn how to listen have hard conversations look for joy share pain and be more curious than defensive all the while seeking moments of togetherness now this has been a topic that has been kind of addressed in a lot of ways over the last I'd say two or three years this idea that like we need to have hard conversations we need to choose relationship over division but it's important to note that there are certain points at which like there are things in our lives that we say, I don't want to be in relationship with this person. And that's OK. There are people that have hurt you in, in ways that are not healthy for you to have them in your life anymore. And that's OK. There are people that hold to ideologies that you believe are just wrong, whether it's morally, ethically, spiritually. And you say it's not OK. Now, Everyone, this is the trick of it. Everyone defines those boundaries differently. And so how do we know which boundaries are the most important? And and the best thing I can say to you is you should be in touch with yourself and know what you think those boundaries should be. However, you should strive to expand as much as possible on the one hand, when we talk about like faith in Jesus Christ and the way it's talked about scripturally, it's talked about as the narrow path as opposed to like the broad path, right? On the other hand, the love of God is expansive, not reductive. And so the more that we reduce the people that we we deem worthy of love and acceptance and our time and our energy, the less opportunity we have to actually love the way God called us to love, to spread good news. It's not, when we talk about the good news of the gospel, it's not just like that Jesus came to save. It's that like God is changing reality every day all around us and it starts with us. So like when we reduce the the circles of people we engage with constantly, it doesn't mean it's always a bad thing. Sometimes there are people you shouldn't associate yourself with. You shouldn't be with. It's not good for them, for you, for anyone, At the same time, we all run the risk of getting into circles full of people that are just mirroring us, and we have to affirm that that is a problem, unless you genuinely believe that you've got the uh, sole grasp on what life is supposed to be, right? We are all uh, uh, susceptible to believing we are the best that life has to offer and reducing the world to the way that we see it. Again, I'm 27. If this is all the world is that I've figured out at 27, then that that's probably not good. But it'd be foolish for me or ignorant at the very least to think that I, I've come to my conclusions about everything in life just because I sat down and thought about it. I read a lot of books. I listen to podcasts. You know, I have my spiritual life. And yet, Take all that away and at 27, living in 2021, I'm still the product of thousands of years of human history and thought and progress. And so as a result, I can't just assume that I now have the, you know, the sole take on what is right and what is wrong. I'm part of something much bigger than myself and that's why we have to affirm the shared humanity and be willing to question ourselves every step of the way. So that idea of being intentionally with people different from ourselves, it's really important. I'm not saying it's the, you know, we take that to the furthest extent and you just like, everyone's welcome to Thanksgiving. No, like you, you do that with wisdom and discernment and prayer. And yet also be willing to question your own values, be willing to question your own boundaries because it's the only way we grow. She says true belonging is not passive. It's not the belonging that comes with just joining a group. It's not fitting in or pretending or selling out because it's safer. True belonging is the practice that requires us to be vulnerable, to get uncomfortable and to learn how to be present with people without sacrificing who we are. Some of my closest friends are people I know I can be pretty much completely honest with about what I think, what I want to say, who I want to be. And I also, at the same time, know they don't always agree with me, but that has become one of the most important things to me. Uh, There are days when I don't want to have the conversation with them because one, I think I'm right. And two, I don't have the energy to convince them I'm right. And that's normal, but I still want to value that relationship and affirm the importance of being authentic and being vulnerable with them because That is what will ultimately yield the best version of ourselves together is when we challenge one another constantly, not only to think about things from a new perspective, but to coexist with those tensions, because that's the only place where something good can come. When there's no tension, when it's just comfort, you are doomed to just be who you decide to be that day. And what human history tells us and what human experience tells us that more often than not, we will choose the easy route, and we will just cause our own demise. So she goes on to end this chapter with some braving skills. Um, And so, of course, it's all kind of uh, marketed with this title of the book, but... Uh, so she, she uses, I, I love using braving and it's a acronym as a wilderness checklist, because it reminds me that trusting myself or other people is a vulnerable and courageous process. So here are um, the values of each of the letters in braving B is for boundaries. You respect my boundaries. And when uh, you're not clear about what's okay and not okay, you ask, you're willing to say no boundaries are really important. I'm still learning how to do that. I guess it's a lifelong thing, but it's important when you to to ask other people. Like I wanted to um to text someone that like we have like this this weird relationship. It's like a Venn diagram of both friendship on one side and and we have a real working work relationship. I wanted to text this guy about a question I had that would definitely cause him like it, it would be work for him to do what I wanted him to do. And it's definitely easier for me to text him. Um, And I got halfway through sending the text and I realized, you know what? I hate when people do this to me. I hate when people like mix like the work with the like friendship or relationship. I'm not saying it can never happen, but I realized it was a Friday night at like 7 PM. And I didn't want to, the way that people text me about work on my Friday, which is my day off at 7 PM. And it takes my mind completely outside of rest and relaxation into you know, a different kind of mode. I was like, you know what? He hasn't even asked me to respect this boundary, but let me assume he has one. And let me just send this as an email the next day, just because I thought of it at Friday at 7 PM. Doesn't mean that I need to burden that person with it. That's just an example of how we can not only try to think of our own boundaries, but also to preemptively, even without asking, think of another's boundaries, but it's obviously best if we can ask and articulate. R is for reliability. You do what you say you'll do. This means staying aware of your competencies and your limitations. So you don't overpromise, and you're able to deliver on commitments and balance competing priorities. Personally, I think uh, the limitation side is really important of reliability, recognizing I can't do everything and not over-promising. And I often find myself, because I'm not good at saying no um, because of my boundaries, uh, I overpromise and then overcommit myself and then i get really stressed out and that's an important part of both work and personal relationships is recognizing your your the value of reliability is what's going to make or break your relationship often because if people know you can't be depended on even if it's just to catch up even if it's just to be trusted to have this hard conversation then they're they're going to stop going to you and i've stopped going to people in my life because they're no longer spiritually or emotionally reliable in a way that I need them to be, right? So when we think about wilderness or braving the wilderness, reliability is really important. Accountability related, but not the same. You own your mistakes, you apologize, you make amends. Own the times that you have overpromised. Own the times that you haven't shown up. Apologize, move on. And when you're in a real relationship that you truly belong in, that person will receive those things well. V is for volt, vault, V-A-U-L-T, vault. So it says, you don't share information or experiences that aren't yours to share. I need to know that my confidences are kept and that you're not sharing with me any information about other people that should be confidential. I'll just say from a Christian perspective, um, someone that I, I respect a great deal, I won't use his name for his you know privacy sake, but um he talked about working the church and just his experience there. And, you know, I don't think this person identifies as a Christian now once did, but you know, the last few years worked at this church and said, you know, it's wild. I, all the people I know in my life that gossip the most work at church or go to this church and all my people that are like either out of the church or atheist or whichever words you want to identify as the most genuine loving people that just don't participate in that. That is one of those cultural nuances that people within religious circles and people within the Christian church in particular, since that's where I identify, we need to be aware of and identify why that's the case. I'll tell you the most common area where this vault is broken, you know, is um, prayer circles. Hey, I just want you to pray for my cousin, Billy Joe. You know, Billy Joe has been and goes on to tell you all of these private things that were told to you in confidence and just because you're sticking like the title of prayer circle on it doesn't make it okay to share something that's not yours to share. If you don't know if it was told you and told to you in confidence, assume it was. Cuz I'll tell you there are multiple people in my life that have shared things that I thought I told them in confidence and they they shared it and that, you know, whether I address it with them or not A, it's frustrating. And B, it makes me close up. I don't want to be vulnerable with that person anymore. It takes away my ability to have a real relationship with them. Even when they apologize, if it's not super sincere, I mean, it it just makes things messy. So imagine someone sharing your, you know, deepest struggles without your consent. And imagine what it would be like if you're doing that. Just assume it's supposed to be confidential that's v vote i is integrity you choose courage over comfort you choose what's right over what's fun fast or easy and you choose to practice your values rather than simply professing them i think that's pretty straightforward when it comes to integrity um we'll leave it at that the n in braving is for non-judgment i can ask for what i need and you can ask for what you need and we can talk about how we feel without judgment recognizing that sometimes our feelings are wrong but they are valid in some sense. And that might sound paradoxical. What I mean is, you can't control what you feel, right? You can lie about it. You can know that it's a bad feeling to have, but you still feel it involuntarily. You can try to train that feeling. Maybe, you know, every time you see someone making, you know, I, I, I don't even have a good example. Sometimes there are feelings that they're, they're natural responses that are just wrong. Maybe there are assumptions you have about certain people groups or about certain religions or about certain music genres, you know, however it plays out for you, your feeling can be valid in that it exists and that it, it is real. It, it happens, but it might not be right. And that's an important part of having that humility to check yourself Be your authentic self, but that doesn't mean that you get a free pass to every idea you've ever had just being unquestioned, right? And the person that should question yourself most is you. Question your intentions, question your values, question what's leading you to get to this place. Because when you're able to to be honest with yourself about those feelings and you can really be honest about the people closest to you in a way that they're not going to judge you but they there's a difference between judgment and i guess some kind of like constructive criticism right i'm not going to judge you necessarily but yeah if you say something really dumb like we should probably talk about it we should probably talk about it before you go tell that thing to the world and go oh that was a bad idea yeah, don't don't aren't you am- amazed at the the kind of stupid things people say on TV or on social media, you're like, did no one close to you tell you that's a bad idea to say that or to think that? Or like movies. My, my dad and I laugh about this all the time. How did this movie get, get approved? The script? But beyond that, the trailer and beyond, it's like, did, did no one at any point say, this is not good. We should not do this. It's crazy. The non-judgment is important so that you have people you can really trust in your life to be your most authentic self so that they can help you be better. So the last letter in braving is G for generosity. You extend the most generous interpretation possible to the intentions, words, and actions of others. Now, this is something that, like I say with our teens a lot, with their parents, um, it's a a good rule of thumb in general in life, but it can lead to naivety, naivete. Right. What I say, what I like to say, is assume the best of people. Assume the best of their intentions. The problem is, even with great intentions, people can be absolutely terrible. So, good intentions doesn't just give you a free pass to be whoever you want to be or do whatever you want to do. But often, what I see happen is that people come into a situation and they just they assume the worst before they've even interacted with someone, whether that's a stranger or someone they know. And sometimes when you're assuming the worst of someone's intentions, right, maybe the way they worded an email or worded a text or didn't show up or said something smart, you interpret that as, oh, like they're trying to put me down, but maybe they really thought it was funny and that you would laugh at it. Uh, The problem is when these patterns continue uh, that you just get conditioned to assume the worst because people have shown up as the worst all the time but we don't want to become calloused. We don't want to become numb. Part of being authentically human is keeping feeling in our lives, metaphorically, but I guess physically too, like trying to keep a pulse on our own bad intentions, but our own misunderstood intentions. How many times have you done or said something and someone interpreted it as the worst possible intention? You're like, that's not even what I was trying to do and they're like yes it is and you can't even convince them they've already decided we do that too and we need to strive not to do that and so she goes through um you know these different letters to talk about braving and so like one of these kind of checklists you can go through as you're trying to think through your day maybe you meditate maybe you don't and you know these are the kinds of things I'm like yeah this was a good I uh, this is a good idea and then I don't do it but here's the checklist she has you know for B, did I respect my boundaries today? Was I clear about what's okay and what's not okay in given situations? R. was I reliable? Did I do the things I said I was going to do? A, Did I hold myself accountable? V. Did I respect the vote of confidentiality and share information appropriately? I. Did I act from my integrity? N. Did I ask for what I needed? Was I non-judgmental? Did I articulate my need for help? And G, was I generous with myself and with others. Um, so uh, I think there's a couple more things in this chapter, but I'm just going to end with this quote from Carl Jung. It says, Carl Jung argued uh, that a paradox is one of the most valued spiritual possessions and a great witness to the truth. It makes sense to me that we're called to combat the spiritual crisis of disconnection with one of our most valued spiritual possessions. Bearing witness to the truth is rarely easy, especially when we're alone in the wilderness. Um, But, and this is uh, Brene Brown saying, but as Maya Angelou tells us the price is high and the reward is great. Paradoxes are things that seem absurd, seem contradictory, but are actually true. And the paradox of true belonging is that the only way we can truly belong anywhere is to show up as our truest selves, which requires us to be vulnerable. But in fact, by enabling ourselves to be vulnerable means that we might not belong and that might hurt and that might be terrible. So as individuals, we need to do that. We need to show up so that we can truly belong. On the flip side, we can't crucify every person that tries to show up as their truest selves to us at the end of the day there are people that we're, we're going to see them live their lives and we disagree with the way that they live their lives but we can't we can't ostracize them for showing up as their truest selves you can't wish someone was different than they are they they are who they are and so for us to be able to engage truly with god and with others we need to show up as we truly are doesn't mean we stay there. Um, it means that we we start there and we move forward from there. But often we're good at deceiving ourselves and we don't show up as our truest selves. So the challenge to you today is to go maybe rewind a little bit and listen to that checklist again of the acronym for breathing boundaries, reliability, accountability, et cetera, and see: are you showing up as your truest self today to your friends, to your family, to your employer? To yourself, to God. And if not, what are the things you need to change? Is it in your boundaries? Is it the amount of things that you share that you shouldn't? Is it your integrity? Is it generosity towards others and self? Check in with yourself so that you can actually move forward.